Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I'm Gareth Grader, Skewed and Reviewed, and you can catch us online at SKNR.net. You can catch my weekly segments on BJCA's Geek Nation on KSWFM Radio. Just go to their page, or you can catch our simulcast on the site. You can also catch our game reviews on Pinal, P-I-N-A-L-Central.com, which is 12 newspapers and 21 markets, keyword skewed. And, of course, we have Skewed and Reviewed, the magazine, which we are currently in production of the June issue on. And we cover all things from movies, games, television, hardware, travel, pop culture, and more. And uh, this is really an interesting time because we're starting to see things reemerge. We've got some uh, big Hollywood films coming up that we're actually going to be screening. Uh, we have some possibility of some travel coverage coming up from some... Uh, 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 I, I can't give too many details, but let's just say major de uh, resort destinations. So looking forward to that. We're just waiting for certain embargoes to lift. And I am joined, as always, with Justin and Michael. And we've got uh, some interesting stuff for you today. We moved the show from Sunday just because with Mother's Day yesterday, it was a little chaotic and everyone was doing their own stuff. It was also kind of an odd news uh, cycle, and we were kind of under the impression that there would be a lot more interesting stuff coming out today so we went through what there was and decided to just push the show back a day and uh, then put it out on tuesday morning rather than sunday evening or monday morning but like i said we want to keep in the pattern of giving you a show each week so uh one of the main reasons we waited was this morning the brand new trailer for venom let there be carnage the obviously sequel to venom and tom hardy's back woody harrelson is back as carnage film was due out last year it was delayed due to covid and now we get our first real extended look at the film so justin start us off what do you think yeah so um i'll be honest i'm, I'm slightly conflicted um i think it looks good um and i think it's very interesting that uh andy circus is directing it um been a pretty big fan of andy circus's work um obviously you know He's a fantastic actor. Um, he's done some good writing work. Um, I don't know how many directing credits he has, but um, it's definitely an interesting choice. And and again, the trailer does does look good. I'm a huge you know Spider-Man fan. Um, really, really big into like uh, obviously, uh, I've as a Spider-Man fan, I've always wanted to see the symbiote um, arc done very, very well. Uh, on screen uh, unfortunately i mean I, I i i'm a bit of a defender of uh of spider-man 3 um you know it wasn't perfect but um i thought it was i thought it was pretty decent and the, but the one thing that it did not do well was it, i don't think it did justice to the the symbiote saga in uh spider-man um so that's kind of where my my conflicted nature comes from um I, I've always sort of been skeptical of taking Venom outside of the context of Spider-Man, um, just in terms of like in the comics. I just personally, I don't think that the Venom standalone comics are quite as strong. I think that his dynamic with Spider-Man and existing within that little mythos of the Spider-Man, um, you know, setting and Rogues Gallery, uh, I just think that dynamic works really well. And that, that might be my bias of just, that's how I 
sort of saw Venom and Carnage initially growing up uh, was within that context of Spider-Man. So it always, you know, um, for the first movie, it just something always felt missing. Like it was it was begging to be part of a of a larger Spider-Man context. Um, but that being said, again, it, it does look good. Um, and you know, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, uh, of, um, you know, Venom as a character and, uh, and Carnage, obviously I think is a very good villain. Um, so I, I'm curious to see how it goes. I, 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 I will probably end up seeing it, but, uh, but again, you know, I, I do, wonder this is kind of like one of those holdover movies from back when sony was really kind of in charge of spider-man and um it it was kind of when their plans for a larger spider-man cinematic universe were sort of falling apart unfortunately um i think it was one of those cases where it was just too far along uh to to basically ignore um or, or basically cancel or whatever um so it ended up kind of being coming becoming its own thing and um, and yeah, I think that's kind of the the tough thing is I, I I think there's a lot of other people that sort of echo the sentiment that uh, they sort of wish it was part of a larger mythos. So there was even some hints that it would be, but it ended up not being so. Yeah, definitely good points, Michael. Your take, please. Yeah, and I I mean I completely agree. I I think for me I'm I'm kind of conflicted on the the preview and and the movie as a whole. Anyways. Um, I like the I like Venom as a character, Carnage as a character, as I like them I think better as uh, you know villains to Spider Man. I think it, that makes it more of an interesting story. Um, I, obviously, there was a lot of humor um, in in the in the preview, which you know I, I can appreciate. But I, I kind of like the darker stories that go along with that um, with the mythos and a lot of the, the the comics and that sort of thing. Anyways, and, and I and I do. You know, and it does feel kind of missing that we we aren't likely to see any sort of Spider-Man crossover with Venom. Um, and and I know trying to you know I'm all, I'm a big fan of Tom Tom Hardy and Woody Harrelson. I think they're ex- they'll do excellent in the movie itself. Uh, but yeah, that I I'm gonna be honest that that preview just didn't do a lot for me. It didn't really pique my interest in seeing the movie uh, outside of waiting for it to be released. And I and I wasn't a huge fan of the last movie. Um, again, I, I think Venom does better as a as a villain to spider-man and existing in that universe uh venom as a standalone character i think does kind of leave me a bit wishing for for spider-man to be kind of involved in that um but yeah i mean i'll obviously wait and and see how it goes Uh, but i but again i'm a i'm a little conflicted with the whole um story arc and you know it almost looked like they were trying a little bit too hard with the humor trying to make it more of a, a Deadpool kind of um, feel. And I, and I just don't know that it was pulled off well in the preview. Again, that's a very small piece of it. Uh, maybe as a whole, the, the movie will uh, flush that out a bit more, but yeah, I'm, I, you know, I'm kind of torn. I'm on the fence on it myself, honestly. Yeah. And what is interesting to me is I look back to the first film and I remember there was some kind of schedule conflict. So I assigned someone else to do the press screening. And they were mixed on it, as was the reviewer, um, you know, the reviews coming out of our Seattle office. And then the national media reviews started coming out, and they were not very kind to it. And so I kind of 
got to the point on it where I said, you know, I don't know if I want to go see this in the theater. And then I did see it when it came to home video. And I watched it and said, gee, you know, this is certainly a lot better than I was led to expect. I mean, is it perfect? No, but it, it was certainly for sitting at home and watching, it was entertaining. It uh, made me at least curious to see what was coming down the road for the characters. And, you know, again, this is one of those films that should have been out last year. And now we had a year to kind of look at it. We're hearing all this stuff that's coming from the Marvel Universe. And this is kind of off in its own little island where it's not really part of the, you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is kind of a little side story. And then you have the whole thing about Morbius and, you know, what was gonna, what's going to go on with that. And I think you kind of have to just disconnect and say, don't plug it into the greater Marvel Universe. Is it going to be entertaining? Is it going to, um, you know, deliver the goods? And it does seem to be trying to walk a fine line between dark and comedic. They, I found the scenes of it making breakfast kind of silly from the trailer, but I love that whole bit about the convenience store where it wanted to turn on the um, proprietor because the chocolate shipment was late. And I, you know, that that's kind of funny uh, in regard, but I get what you're saying. This is supposed to be a much darker and more serious character. And therefore, you know, jokes about killing a clerk because they don't get their shipment of chocolate. Who knows? Um, what, did it for me is I'm really curious about Woody Harrelson. You know, when he came in late in the first film, it definitely perked things up. We all know what his deal is. And it will be interesting to see how Carnage is. But of course, to me, you have to have the duality of it, just like you do with Venom. You have to have Tom Hardy's human side to propel it and to make it interesting. And we've got to see Woody Harrelson's Cletus Cassidy to really push things forward rather than just an extended FX reel of carnage, uh, you know, with occasionally Woody Harrelson's voice coming through. So again, it comes down to, I didn't see much of a story in it. I saw essentially an extended FX reel. And while you expect that in a film like this, you have to have some kind of story to push things forward. So we'll see. I mean, that being said, it looked at more interesting than I expected it to be. So next topic is theaters are uh, starting to see a wave of newer films. We have uh, Spiral. We have Disney's Cruella. And, of course, we have A Quiet Place Part 2, all films that were delayed due to the pandemic and all films that are scheduled to hit theaters this month. Cruella will also be featured under, behind a paywall on uh, Disney Plus's service for those who don't want to go to a theater. And we talked a lot last year about Universal and various films skipping theaters and going straight to video on demand or going at the same time that they're released in the theaters or having a much shorter turnaround. There used to be, you know, give or take 90 days, sometimes six months before a film that was theatrically released would appear on these other services. Then we started to see them at the same time. 
There was talk about chains boycotting Universal and not showing their films because of this. And then arrangements were reached in terms of, um, you know, hey, they've got to be in the theater for this much time. And then it can go here. But if this happens, this ha we get this. And then, of course, you know, there's the inevitable, you know, there's some kind of money uh, profit sharing or something. Well, news came out this week that Cinemark signed, uh, who is uh, one of the major uh, dist um, theatrical distribution outlets, uh, has said they've signed theatrical deals with five of the major studios. So the uh, major studios has uh, that they have agreements with include Warner Brothers, Walt Disney, Paramount, and Sony. And, of course, there is... Um, uh, talk that apparently they already had a deal in place with Universal, which we know because that was signed in November. And the deal they signed with Universal allowed it that new movies could be released on a premium video or on-demand platform 17 days after they open in the theater. Films that generate at least $50 million in their opening weekend, so in a case of Universal, this would be like a Fast and Furious film, a Jurassic World movie, uh, must play exclusively in the theaters for 31 days or five full weekends. Now, um, so the firm details of how they have it worked out with the other studios has not been revealed, but the belief is that they are very similar in structure. And this comes right as Paramount has also said that their plan is for films to debut on their Paramount Plus streaming service within 45 days of their theatrical release. Now, this is going to draw uh, interest because we have A Quiet Place 2 coming up. They've already sold um, Coming to America 2 and uh, the um, Tom Clancy film were sold to Amazon, but they have Top Gun Maverick coming, they have Quiet Place 2 coming, so people are very curious to see if these films will indeed um, be on the streaming service within 45 days of theatrical release, or if that's only going to be limited to lower-tiered films. And then to back it up and make things even more interesting, Paramount Plus came out and essentially said their plan is to premiere a new movie every week. Now, this is a bit odd to me because it's my understanding that Paramount doesn't have four films a month uh, slated for distribution, but who knows? And so, Michael, what do you think? Well, I, I mean, I think this was had to be coming at some point, right? I mean, I don't think that as much as we've talked about streaming services, we know that for them to turn a profit, especially on a big budget film, something like a Top Gun Maverick, or, or if we're talking like Marvel Universe, that kind of thing, they really need the theater goers to be back in, if not if not full swing, at least enough where they're driving a, a lot more revenue than the streaming service alone is. Um, so I think it's I think it makes sense that you know the Cinemark and then obviously that the other studios, the other theaters will will kind of you know follow along with this too is it gives them opportunities to um you know get some good showing um in the theater before things are released to um, a streaming service and i think that makes sense I, I think in a lot of cases with the exception of maybe you know a, a, a marvel's end game or something along those lines 
I think most movies, blockbuster or not, after about five weeks, even pre-pandemic, you're starting to see the numbers dwindle to a point where they're they're not making the kind of money they were, you know, in the in the initial release. So I think at that point, those who are, still want to see it in the theater will have the opportunity to, uh, but it'll also be available for streaming for those who weren't planning to see the movie in theaters probably anyways. Again, most people, if, they don't, if they're excited about a movie, they're not going to necessarily wait four weeks to go see it in theaters. They might wait a week or two, and then they'll go see it. Um, so, so it makes sense that, you know, the same-day release, I think, was something that was really a bigger concern to the, the you know, theaters, particularly on things like, um, you know, like movies like Mortal Kombat, you know, releasing on HBO Max for those who had HBO Max subscription where it was free and they were able to stream it the day of release. I think that was a bigger um, hit to theaters than saying, oh, we're going to, you know, if we wait 45 days or whatever, um, five weekends in the theater, and then it can go to streaming. Because I think at that point, again, they're getting the, the main fans that were going to go see it have already seen it. Um, and those who probably were, were going to wait to see it wouldn't have seen it by the five weeks anyways. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think at this point uh, it'll be obviously curious to see how the p- pandemic goes and, and what kind of theater numbers we get back to. Um, I, I, again, I, I think we're starting to see now that more and more people are feeling comfortable going to the theater. Um, we're starting to see in, in not great numbers out of movies that are coming down theater, but given the circumstances and given where they were you know, a year ago, I think those are huge numbers for some of these movies. And, and I think overall, I, I think it just makes absolute sense that that, yeah, I think that's going to be part of the new world, really, and, and it's something that the theater owners have been really afraid of and they've been um, struggling with for a long time is they knew streaming was coming. They knew a lot of these big um, movie companies, the production companies, were going to have streaming services, and there's always been a big push for how do we how do we stay in business, how do we keep driving people to go see it in the theater first. Um, so I think this is kind of a, a compromise, and I suspect that that's probably the way things are going to be going forward. I, I don't think you can go from, uh, you know, movies coming out on streaming either day one or within 30 days and then take that away from people. I think a lot of folks are going to be at a point where if they're going to watch it on streaming, they're going to be willing to wait for it anyways. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think that's just kind of going to be the part of the new the new business model, I think, for a lot of these theater owners. Okay, and your take, Justin. Yeah, I think Michael raises a lot of really good points there. I think, you know... I- one of the points uh, that I kind of stuck on um, is I don't think that the studios can exist, at, at least with the the kind of budgeted movies um, that they're that they're pushing out. I don't think they can exist um, wholly supported only by streaming services. I'm still very skeptical about the profitability of uh, you know, obviously like if you make like a you know, a $20 million movie and you put it on a streaming service, you very likely can make that money back and then some. Um, but I think for the large tentpole movies, they need people in seats um, to make the money back. Um, you know, it's hard, really hard to get numbers on, on this kind of thing because the streaming services are, um, you know, the the amount of money that they get from them is, is kind of like self-reported by a lot of these companies. And it's also kind of not a one-to-one ratio in terms of, um, you know, there's not like a, a, some of them do, some of them do have like a premium for like, if you want to watch this movie, you have to pay $9 on top of, you know, the, uh, 
the subscription you already have, but most of them don't. Most of them basically, you have the streaming service and then you just have access to the movie. So then it's hard to kind of gauge like, okay, how many subscribers did we get because of this particular movie we put on the streaming service and how do we tie the, the, the revenue from this movie to uh, the amount of subscribers in our streaming service kind of thing. It just, the, the calculation becomes much more complicated um, so it is hard to kind of to gauge it, but I'm just skeptical that a $400 million movie um, and you, you basically just dump it on a streaming service, uh, I don't think that you're going to make the money back for production and marketing um, just on the streaming service by itself. So I do think that it's incumbent on the studios to uh, to kind of foster a environment in which the theaters do well and i think that's kind of what we're returning to you know i it, it it is a little bit of a ebb and flow kind of situation where uh right now or at least you know up until now while the pandemic was, was raging on um theaters were not able to open so uh the studios were not able to make any money off of uh any uh, theater revenue so it made definitely made sense to them to kind of play hardball on that uh on terms of putting all of their content on streaming services but we're getting to the point where um i think they're kind of going to have to realize or they are realizing that they need the theaters to do well um going forward now that the theaters can't open i think um or we're getting there or getting a little bit closer to theaters opening safely as people are more um vaccinated and cases continue to either go down or, or stay low uh people are over time going to become more comfortable to going going into theaters so you know i think this makes sense i think it's just kind of a first step and eventually you know i, I don't know if it's going to be one of those things where you know there's just a new normal that's different than what we had before but i think we are approaching a system in which you know it, it makes sense to me you know certain movies will uh, release before others or, or uh, go onto streaming services before others and I think theaters are probably okay with that um, I think the things that they they really need are the big tentpole movies that make a lot of money I think those they need um, exclusivity over those for several weeks um, just to help them out and uh, yeah I think that's probably what we're going to have for the foreseeable future I'm really going to be curious to see what happens if you have a film that's still packing them in in the theaters, um, if they're going to be so quick to want to put it on their streaming platforms uh, and essentially take potential income. Because let's be honest, there are still films that people um, choose to see on a big screen versus watch at home. And I was looking at the Paramount production list here and we know about A Quiet Place 2. They've already moved The Tomorrow War over to uh, Amazon. But you have things coming like Snake Eyes and Paw Patrol the movie and Jackass 4 and Clifford. Now, while these aren't really um, the same as Top Gun Maverick, these are potential um, films of interest. Now, I look at something like Paw Patrol and Jackass and Clifford the Big Red Dog, I could see those being popular on television because look at your audience. That, you know, 
these are not films that are going to be significantly enhanced seeing it on the big screen with the state-of-the-art sound system. A film like Snake Eyes and a film like Top Gun Maverick are. As we swing into next year, you have things like Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Indiana Jones 5, Mission Impossible 7. These are films that are definitely going to be more preferable up on the big screen. And then, you know, as you get down the line in, in 2023, Dungeons and Dragons, you know, Mission Impossible 8, the next Star Trek film. Again, all things that might be better suited for a big screen uh, situation, especially that by 2023, we should have a more uh, normal looking theatrical run. So it'll be interesting. Now, the final segment that we have is uh, dealing with video games this summer. And E3 is going to be going online, and they are going to be doing uh, their showcase from the 11th through the 13th of June. They have a wide range of companies that have already committed, Ubisoft, Xbox, Nintendo, so on and so forth, several uh, companies. Now, uh, today we got news that the PC gaming show is coming on June 13th. And so we had our press invites come through where we could get set up. And so one of the interesting things about it is it raised some questions that, uh, you know, we had. I talked with the staff and said, gee, that seems like odd timing. It's right during the E3 show. They talked about last year, and it's also important to remember, E3 set out last year. The 2020 show was an extraordinary success, delivering over 20 billion impressions and over 5.9 million unique views uh, with 3.2 million live stream plays in the coming days. And they talk about how they're going to uh, you know, co-stream the event and so on and so forth. And it says PC gaming show will be a part of a larger day of gaming presentations and programming on Twitch and other platforms. Stay tuned for details. And then, of course, they swing it and say, Recently, the ESA, Entertainment Software Association, confirmed plans for a free-to-attend digital E3 running June 12th through 15th. The world's biggest game showcase is usually held in Los Angeles each summer, but it's been on pause since the start of the pandemic. E3 2021 aims to showcase the best that the video game industry has to offer with confirmed partners including Nintendo, Xbox, Capcom, Konami, Ubisoft, Take-Two Interactive, Warner Brother Media, and Koch Media. So, uh, Justin, what do you make of this? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, the PC game show that kind of goes on alongside E3 has always been kind of an interesting um, and unique show, um, mainly because it's not really... Uh, the PC platform is is decentralized, right? As you know, no no one company owns it. Um, versus you know, PlayStation uh, is owned by Sony, and obviously Nintendo has their products, and Microsoft has Xbox. So those are kind of more centralized, and those companies can kind of control um, the you know a lot of the information that comes out of those for those systems on uh, on E three every year. Uh, the PC games show is a little bit different. It's to me, it's always been slightly disappointing, just because you know we, we expect with E three a lot of really big reveals. Uh, the PC game show, you you do get some cool stuff. Usually, you'll see a lot of good, um, you know, new content from indie titles there. Um, 
but I also find that a lot of the big companies kind of stay away from the PC game show, um, mainly because a lot of most of them typically, if, if they have a PC version of their game, uh, they'll they'll end up showing it at their own event. So like Bethesda, obviously, very pretty big supporter of of uh, PC versions of all their games. Um, you'll see your you know the the Bethesda uh, stuff at the Bethesda show. You won't really see you know, exclusive Bethesda games at the PC game show. But, you know, for, for some of those kind of like, you know, PC exclusive kind of indie titles, I think you'll, you will see uh, some cool stuff there. And just E3 in general, I think this year, I'm very curious to watch just because, well, one, we didn't have it last year. And two, um, most of these companies have been radio silent for, for so long that, you know, they have to be uh, they have to have a lot of, you know, in my mind, I, I always go to this, like, if, if I haven't heard from Sony for, uh, for eight months, then, you know, I think, oh, well, sh shoot, Sony hasn't been said anything for eight months, so, uh, clearly, um, their, their next show is going to be massive. Uh, that's not always the case, sometimes it is, so I'm, I'm hoping for really big things out of this year, just because we haven't had it, and a lot of these companies have, uh, been pretty quiet, um, you know, it's, it's honestly, it's been pretty, pretty slow for, you know, the last year, uh, in terms of game releases. Um, it's definitely a little bit lighter, which totally understandable, but, um, you know, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing, uh, if some of the stuff in the pipeline is almost done and, and what it looks like. And, uh, Michael, your take, please. Yeah. And I mean, and Justin brings up a good point about that too, is a lot of the E3 stuff is console centric i mean to be honest that's not to say that they don't release those games on pc but you know sony's obviously console centric uh while microsoft uh obviously has uh pc games to go along with their xbox uh exclusives a lot of those are xbox and pc release titles at the same time so again that's more console centric obviously nintendo's console centric um so i think a lot of the E3 stuff tends to be to gravitate more towards the console, uh, the console teams. Again, it's not to say that those games aren't re releasing on PC. In fact, most games these days are are kind of getting away from I think um, the exclusivity and are starting to we're starting to see Sony games that are releasing on uh, PC maybe a year later, but they're still coming out on PC. Um, obviously, Xbox um, tends to release their titles on PC on the same day typically uh, so the pc gaming uh, thing i think it, uh, it i kind of look at it as as just another event that, that takes place kind of at e3 we kind of see similar things that w when we go to ces like they have the showstopper event which isn't really part of ces but does take place at the same time as ces and it does you know feature a lot of the folks that are also showcasing at ces um, and this kind of allows uh, the more PC-centric titles to kind of get their day to shine, I guess. I mean, uh, you know, with, with I'm still kind of curious about how E3 is going to fill the time because realistically, I mean, a lot of the showcases are, are typically an hour, hour and a half maybe. Um, and then people go off to the floor to get some hands-on with the titles that they've seen um, and that sort of thing, right? Look at the props. Uh, do some shopping, whatever. Uh, so I think it, it, it makes it interesting to see how E3 is going to fill up their time slots. And I think we'll see a lot of this stuff where we'll see the PC Gamer um, showcase stuff going on. Um, we'll probably have other companies. I know IGN does a podcast or a live stream typically from E3. I'm sure they'll be doing some sort of show 
um, at, during this time as well. Uh, so I think it'll just be an opportunity for um, maybe the indie titles, those that don't typically get showcased in the big reveals at E3, maybe some of the titles that we would typically see, uh, you know, wandering the floor, um, those types of things that don't get a console release. Um, you, you know, I think we, we've seen a couple of different ones. Um, Desperados 3 comes to mind. Um, was it Destroy All Humans? Was that the other one? Yeah. Um, some of those that are, are PC titles. Um, and yeah, maybe they get console releases, but they don't really get featured in any big, um, big showcase. Uh, this will give them an opportunity to kind of do that showcase um, on their own terms. So I think, yeah, I think it's just another uh, another thing that we'll, well, I think we'll see other other shows kind of pop up during this time as well, where they're not really part of E3, but they're taking place around the E3 time to kind of take advantage of folks who are, are either flipping through the different presentations or, or trying to find something different and unique to see. Uh, so yeah, I suspect we'll probably see even a couple more of these kind of pop up where other companies are, are kind of get, trying to get in their time where they know people are looking for, they're streaming, they're, they're planning to be streaming anyways, and they're just finding different content to kind of go look at. What is interesting too is that we've heard some companies such as Konami say, look, we were announced to be a part of it. We're not going to be because, simply put, the games don't uh, aren't ready to be seen. And to me, it will be interesting to see going forward because the industry always had this June target. Sometimes it's early June, sometimes it's mid-June. But they always had this June target of, hey, we're all getting together and showing off what we have and what's coming. So there was... Uh, call it pressure, but maybe a deadline. And people would say, nothing works better for developers than a deadline. <laughs> and without the live shows, it does seem like we saw this last year. Companies didn't feel as compelled to make sure they had something. Look at uh, the fact that we talked about Call of Duty and how we didn't get a trailer and real formal announcement until I want to say maybe two months before release, if I think that's correct. And usually by now we've not only had, we've had the rumors come out, but by now we've had the tease and we've already had our inboxes filled up with appointments confirming uh, a first look and in some cases hands-on at E3. And you have none of that. We haven't heard about Activision being a part of this show. And that's a prime example of a company that used to be very firm, right in, boom, E3, now basically saying, eh, we'll do things on our own time. You know, whatever. Game's coming out this year. If we put the trailer out. Now, I admit Call of Duty is a unique situation where they could put out the game three weeks before it goes on sale and still sell exceptionally well. It's just one of those things. But... We've talked in the past about certain companies not taking part in E3 who felt the controlling their own information was a more timely thing. Case in point, Sony, who opted not to take part in E3 in 2019, who essentially sat tight and did their own showcase and announced uh, when they when they were ready this is what the PS5 looks like. This is what it's going to cost. And, oh, yeah, this is when it's coming out. They did not feel obligated to stick that in a 
November show, I mean, excuse me, in a June showcase. So it'll be really interesting to see because some of the players like Ubisoft did their own showcase. EA did their own showcase. But now we're seeing more of the big boys coming in. EA kind of tipped their hand a week ago by talking about all the new stuff that's coming for um, the division. They talked about Heartland, the new game that's coming. Uh, so we expect to see some information on that. I would expect to see some information on Far Cry 6. But of course, if they're doing their own showcase, 45 minutes to um, you know an hour, maybe longer, they have stuff to fill. We still have to wait and see what Bethesda's going to do. I mean, that's been a big rumor. We know about Deathloop. We know about their Tokyo game. Uh, are we going to see something on Starfield? Are we going to see stuff on Elder Scrolls Six? Are we going to get news on um, what's coming in Fallout? I mean, all of this is all up in the air. And I think, for me, I'm trying to be very cautiously optimistic because last year I remember I was really disappointed with what was out there I expected all these big announcements and most of them were indie games that were so below the radar even as somebody it gets multiple press releases daily a lot of these things weren't even high on my uh, you know oh make sure you get this make sure you get that list not to say there weren't some interesting things in there but for the most part I got really tired of sitting here day in, day out, watching these live streams with people basically doing shtick, trying to get trending on social media, watching game after game that I wasn't really that interested in, that wasn't going to generate a lot of excitement for readers and listeners, waiting for the big shoe to drop that didn't come. And at least now, for me when they say something more than, well, we've got a bunch of big showcases, when they come out and say, we've got Warner Brothers, we've got Ubisoft, we've got Nintendo, I have a much higher level of anticipation that we're going to actually see something uh, worthwhile, especially with you know the whole E3 thing behind it. So hopefully, hopefully what we have coming down the line will be good. We're kind of getting at that point where we're very close to starting to get people booking uh, appointments. They've said that there's going to be some pre-show appointments for media. There's going to be some reveals. We're expecting possibly stuff that um, we did not know about, that there are things that we get at E3 that are not on the main floor, that we do have you know, private meetings with and various booths and stuff like that. Uh, so that will be interesting to see what uh, comes out. I mean, I think we can all agree that we're expecting something on Dying Light 2 in terms of an actual release date would be great. Um, I think we are expecting something on Aliens Fire Team, also a release date. But then there's all the games we don't know about. And then you have things like DLC. I mean, out of the blue last week, uh, Zombie Army 4 Dead War started updating. And next thing we got, lo and behold, hey, guess what? Here's the brand new Season 3. And it was like, wow, there was no hype on that it basically the system updated and then boom here's a brand new uh first campaign for the upcoming season three so a lot of stuff there i know uh you know assassin's creed has got stuff we've got the online portion for watchdog legion uh coming for pc soon so uh we'll see what's out there so uh that's gonna do it for now uh michael 
Uh, Justin, do either of you have anything else that you wanted to add into the mix? Uh, no, I don't today. Nope. All right. And that is going to do it for us. Thank you so much for listening, folks. And we will be back again next week. Until then, take care.